0: WLTV, the number one wine show on the internet. And this is BBQ Center. Start the cake! Let's go!
1: We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live!
0: So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood.
1: Are you sure you say whatever?
0: We put the lighter fluid
1: on, strike your match, and. Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea.
0: Barbecue Central Show, a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I, by the way, am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard. If you have been looking at getting in on the show, last week was probably better. But we can mix in a call or an email this week as well if you're so inclined to do that. Here are your two bits of contact information.
2: You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email greg at com. On the Twitter and Instagrams at BBQ Central Show.
0: Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening on the show this evening. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, a first timer to the show. From time to time, I'm not going to say we're way outside the box on this segment coming up, but we're a little bit outside of the box because the main operation isn't typically the talk that we have here on this show, but I was forwarded a link by friend of show, uh, Jason Kaplan. And he said, Hey, I just checked this video out. You may or may not have an interest in it. He found it to be fairly engaging. So I watched it. And by the end, I was completely hooked, hooked enough to where I sought out the website, got the contact information, sent the initial email asking if they had any interest in coming on the show to talk about the biz and what they do and all that good stuff. And ultimately, a month or so or two down the road, it maybe it's been longer than that. But certainly, from all points, going to be worth the wait. I will be talking with the owner of Broken Arrow Ranch and first-timer of the show, Chris Hughes. And if you aren't familiar with Chris Hughes and what Broken Arrow Ranch does, a multitude of different things. But the mainstay of the business is hunting wild game in the Texas region. Specifically venison and boar, I believe. But then there's also a retail side and how they actually accomplish the operation itself. When you watch it on the video and as Chris will tell us here this evening. Very cool. Had no idea that this kind of a business was out here. So, Chris will be on to talk about it in 11 minutes from now. Then, 35 past the hour, we are rejoined by what many consider to be America's Butcher, the CEO of Lafrida Meat Purveyor. Pat Lafrida joins me. And if you keep an eye on this industry and as you follow this show, you know we have from time to time talked about plant based meat, specifically burgers. I don't know. Maybe there has been a plant-based steak here or there, but not to any amount that I have seen. But specifically plant-based burgers that I've seen Impossible Burger comes to mind beyond burger. I think those are probably the two heavyweights of the industry at this point on menus, uh, not only fast food chains, but in very respectable restaurants, B-spot burgers, TGI Fridays, the list goes on. I was interested because Pat was making the rounds recently on a number of news cable channels talking about the plant-based boom and what his thoughts are. And I wanted to get my own interview with Pat on that portion of the industry because we do cover it, but we haven't had a huge number of intricate thoughts. And especially, I think Pat brings a unique perspective because, and if you have missed his previous interviews on some of those news programs, I believe by all accounts, a very pro-plant-based meat guy. And I thought he brings a unique perspective because, as everybody knows, he's steeped in beef, right? I mean, his hands are, he's up to his elbows in beef every day. Everybody that works at La Frida Meat is up to their elbows and uh, perhaps clavicles in meat. And this would be a direct competitor, potentially, or an option aside from what they sell. So asked Pat to come on. He said he was absolutely available and would like to come on to talk about that a little bit more in depth with me here on this show and that's what we're going to do 35 past yeah we're we'll talking a little bit about Lafrida Home as well some of the stuff that's happening there for the home consumer a lot of you were asking about briskets if time allows I'll ask them about that especially left and right side briskets I saw that conversation spark up here a little bit ago so that wraps your first hour then we'll get into the second hour I'm not usually a top of the hour guest guy but If you listened to the show last week, you know I mentioned her by name as we were in the middle of my conversation with Robin Lindars during her two-segment poll last week. And that was the winner of the very first State Cook-Off Association event in Hartville, Ohio, going on about two weeks ago. That is 17-year-old Angel Todd, and she will be my top of the second hour guest. So given the fact that this is also the fourth Tuesday of the month and that always brings a visit, from the panel called the Embedded Correspondence, Steve Ray, Doug Scheiding, David Huff, John Solberg, Michigan, Texas, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. Not necessarily respectively, but that's where they all live in some form or fashion. We might eat into a little bit of the EC segment on the front side of that as we wrap up and make sure that we give proper time and uh, allow proper conversation with Angel Todd at the top of the second hour. and Then we'll get into Embedded correspondence. We have a A good three, four items that we're going to be covering, not the least of which is catering and specifically how you go about charging your catering. I have always worked off of a specific formula. That formula put to the test literally hours ago as I came off a price for a family member, and the discounted price seemed to be shocking to them, and not in a good way, I might add. So. I said, hey, this would make a great conversation piece as we start off the Embedded correspondence segment because a lot of these guys do some type of catering or have catered in the past. So we'll see what the thought process is there, and then we'll build in. Of course, everybody waiting for what? Cat poems that will be delivered by the Embedded correspondence. So there you have it. We have Chris Hughes and Pat Lafreda, first hour. Angel Todd, top of the second hour. Embedded correspondence running out the duration of the show after that 216 220 0966. Don't forget, you can follow me socially. Do that on Instagram and Twitter at BBQ Central Show. Also, give me a follow over on Facebook slash BBQ Central Show. By the way, I've had a number of friend requests on my personal page. And I would just like to say this, uh, and I say this with peace and love, peace and love. If you ask me for a friend request on my personal Facebook page, uh, don't be alarmed if I never get to it or I never accept it. It's not because I don't like you or anything like that. Nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that if I wasn't doing this show, I would not have any social media. Not because I'm a curmudgeonly old middle-aged man or anything like that. No, no, no. I just don't think that anybody has any interest in hearing where I'm going or what I'm eating or what I'm doing outside of the show. That's the only reason. And of course, as you know, Facebook doesn't allow you to have a, a fan page or a show page without having a personal account because they hold you hostage. Otherwise, I would just ditch the personal account altogether. So if you've asked me for friendship on my personal page, I'm saying again with peace and love, I'm not accepting it. Just go like the Barbecue Central page because I don't do anything over on my personal page. I don't do anything over there. Nor do I want to do anything over there. I want to remain as much off the grid as possible while remaining as much on the grid as possible. Why? Because I am hypocrite. Number one, hypocrite. That's what I like. I like living and vacillating in the world of hypocrisy. It's my favorite thing. As I mentioned last week, top of the second hour, well, first interview segment in the second hour, my oldest daughter, Bobby was in, and she read a handful of poems. Cats, 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 and more cats. And let me say this. With the feedback that I had gotten through the course of the week, I had no idea. How many of you were actually cat folk, like pro-cat? I also had no idea how many of you are not cat folks, anti-cat, against the cat. Cats are arrogant. Cats hate their owners. Cats don't care about anybody. Blah, blah. Likewise, or, or on the other side of the fence, cats are great. Cats are self-sufficient. They sit on your lap and they purr. I continue to be an indifferent cat person. I, I, I am a indifferent cat owner. If I never had cats, I never wanted cats. If I never had cats again, I would not miss cats. But I'm not going out of my way to open up the door and let them run out at the same time. Regardless of what people think, I'm not that kind of a cat owner either. Smoke and Joe's pit barbecue against cats. Hmm. All right. Chris Hughes coming up out of the break. I will talk to you quickly about the Barbecue Guru. By the way, if you are in the instant chat on YouTube and you want to share your favorite cat poem, let it loose. It may get read on the air at random. The Barbecue Guru believes that outdoor cooking should be fun and easy because it can be with their automatic temperature control devices. If you have a Weber Smoky Mountain or some type of ceramic cooker or even a decent sized offset pit, this might be for you. If you don't want to contend with fire, if you don't want to learn fire management or you just want to make it as efficient as possible, then you might want to look at the Barbecue Guru. They have these devices that will attach to your cooker of choice. And depending on what level of technology you get or what pit controller you get, you have a bunch of different options as far as the tech is concerned. But in its simplest form, set a temperature and let the Guru do its thing. It will maintain that pit temperature you set it at. No problem whatsoever. Just make sure that it has enough fuel in it to keep it going. If you want to ramp it up or ramp it down, you can certainly do that by simply adjusting the temperature. No damper adjustments on the top or the bottom. No pinwheel dampers on the offsets. Nothing like that. Just hook it up and away you go. Then put the pit temperature probe in the cooking chamber where you want that temperature to be set at. And then it's magic. It just works. You visit the website BBQGuru.com. That's BBQGuru.com. And get started on your guru journey today. If you have any questions, call them 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. Don't forget to check out their accessories as well, like the rib ring, which is becoming a very hot seller. Sold out the very first run. They are now back in stock, so if you're looking for a way to double your rib capacity on a ceramic cooker, the rib ring is something that you're going to want to take a look at. Don't forget the monolith grill. number of different accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. BBQGuru.com. That's bbq. Guru.com, Broken Arrow Ranch coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back.
2: Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio, you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host,
0: Greg Rempe. And this portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rub seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils, all of Butcher Barbecue products, tested on the competition circuit. As well as in backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood and visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up right now. That's ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. All right, leading off the show tonight, someone who has a very unique business. I was sent a video, as I said earlier, from my pal Jason, who was intrigued to buy it. And after watching the video, I was hooked and had to have him on to talk about it. You'll be especially interested if you like deer or other wild game, and you might get some cooking tips, too. So let's head to the FOGO Charcoal Hotline and welcome first-timer to the show, the owner of Broken Arrow Ranch, Chris Hughes, joining me on the show. Chris, how are you, buddy? Greg, how are you? I'm absolutely fabulous, Chris. Appreciate you making time this evening. And I guess before we get into the nuts and bolts of uh, Broken Arrow Ranch and what you do, maybe a quick background about yourself, where you're from originally, and if you are a fan of live fire cooking.
3: Sure. So uh, Chris Hughes, Broken Arrow Ranch, uh, born, uh, raised in Ingram, Texas. Uh, It's central Texas in the uh, Texas Hill Country. And uh, Broken Arrow Ranch is a purveyor of uh, wild game meats. So what, uh, what makes us pretty unique is that uh, we go to ranches around the state here uh, that have an overpopulation of deer and antelope, uh, and we harvest those animals directly in the field. We uh, take a shooter, a skinner, a mobile meat processing unit, and a government meat inspector, uh, go out there, we call the herds for these ranchers, pay the ranchers for the animals that we harvest, Hmm. process the meat, um, package it, and ship it nationwide.
0: So that's it from a very high level. Uh, From a history standpoint, you know, 1983, I believe it was your dad that kind of started Broken Arrow or, you know, whatever it was previous to uh, maybe getting its name. But was that his whole mission to get it started was to help kind of thin the herd, if you will?
3: Right. So the, uh, the vision was that uh, there's a lot of non-native deer and antelope that, that were released here in Texas the, in the 1930s, and the populations boomed. And there was a fear that these non-native deer and antelope were going to outcompete the native whitetail deer for food. So there was a concern of trying to keep the population in check. Uh, at the same time, uh, he had seen that, that venison was a popular menu item all over the world, but it was pretty much non-existent here in the United States at that time. And there was really no domestic source uh, for uh, that for that venison. So he kind of saw an opportunity there. He saw a potential supply and uh, put two 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 and two together.
0: So as the business starts to grow, are you hunting the the wild game if you will and then taking it around to restaurants first or was there also a built-in end-user want for the meat as well
3: well uh, it certainly uh took some took some convincing mm. there were a lot of uh chefs our, our primary targets certainly to start off with were, were fine dining restaurants and so that's where uh, medicine was, was being used most often a, on a wholesale uh, uh, perspective but really? Uh, yeah he was basically just loading up a uh, cooler with a whole deer leg in it and uh uh trying to knock on some chefs doors and convince them it was something that uh that they wanted to buy.
0: I can't sit here and think off the top of my head that you know all these fine dining restaurants that venison is something that was sought after um is that something that popularity has ebbed and flowed over the years and decades
3: <laughs> I, I kind of joke that uh, uh venison's been a fad for fifteen thousand years um it's
0: <laughs> right.
3: it's been around a, lo- a long long time, and uh you know I don't think it's going anywhere but uh, from a historical perspective you know venison's always been uh on on the table it's it's you know it's King's Fair. I, I I tended to joke that it was the rich man's fair and the poor man's fair because uh, it was <laughs> the fine dining restaurants and it was uh, in the backwoods, but it was the middle class that I think has, has uh, missed out on it historically and, and, and is now getting uh, more and more familiar with wild game meats, uh, both you know, in, in, in use and hunting as well as in their restaurants. But uh, it had a seasonality to it. It was always uh, from a European chef cranny it was always a, a fall and min, uh, winter menu item and that trend has broken a lot within the last uh say 10 years or so uh and you're, you're seeing it on menus year round now
0: chris hughes joining me here on the show owner of broken arrow ranch the website brokenarrowranch.com. if you want to check it out while we're talking here I'm only exposed to venison from the people that I know that will go out during deer hunting season and try and get a, a buck or two or three or you know whatever the catches that they can make. Is what you is what you're doing any different than what a hunting deer season would do?
3: Uh there there are some differences that allow us to sell the meat, but you know in its essence, uh no. You know, what we're doing is, is we go out to this ranch, we're, we're seeking animals, uh, we're shooting them, uh, all the animals are harvested uh, with a, a headshot at distances from uh, 50 to 200 yards typically, uh, so it's a very stress-free uh, harvest that's on these animals, uh, but it is, it is hunting, you know, in that, in, in that sense, uh, where it such to uh, differentiate itself is that we're not just trying to get one animal, we're trying to get, Ten, fifteen, forty animals—you uh, know—on a harvest. Uh, we have a government meat inspector that's out there, present with us, watching the whole thing, and that's what allows us to be able to sell the meat, along with the uh, mobile processing unit that is really—it's an inspected meat plant on wheels. Uh, and so those are the those are the key key differences and key things that allow us to to sell us meat.
0: Yeah, so I want to dig into those three items here just a little bit. When you are, so are you approaching ranchers or do they, I would imagine at this point, you guys also have a pretty established name in what you do out there. So ranchers that are prospectively interested would say, hey, Chris, I have X hundred amount of acres and I'm getting a little overrun or, or what is your process to make sure that my land management is kept in the right direction?
3: Right, it's a, little, it's a little bit of both. Over the years, we've, we've developed a, uh, a Rolodex of ranchers that we, we keep in touch with, but uh, at the same time, uh, uh, we, we don't know them all, and, and a lot of them do a very good job of keeping their information private. <laughs> so uh, when they talk to their neighbors or they have this need and they're talking to a wildlife biologist, uh, our name does come up so sometimes we're contacting ranchers seeing if they have a need for us and sometimes uh, they're contacting us and saying that, uh, that they need to reduce their populations
0: and in the end as you'd said you are paying the rancher for whatever the the call take is for you what what's the the going rate for your your services
3: so the um, uh, one of the things that I think has made this business successful over the years is recognizing that these animals do have value. Um, certainly early on, um, there was not a lot of outlets for these animals with the rancher. Um, but, uh, dad, dad paid them. They would call us "How much does it cost for you to come out and, and, and get rid of these animals. And we said, well, let me tell you the good part. We're, we're going to pay you. Uh, and I think that's part of what's, what's made us successful. Um, for us the rate, you know, it depends on the species. They typically uh pay per pound. Um, one of our most popular animals is the uh, uh deer in the area, the Axis deer. Mm-hmm. Uh and we're we're currently paying uh two dollars a pound or three dollars a pound on those right now. So you wind up with about, you know, a hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars um, per head on that animal. Mm-hmm. And um you know it's fairly comparable with what these ranchers can get uh by trapping these animals live and selling them to uh other other ranchers um where where it's where it breaks away is on the trophy bucks those those are worth a lot more money uh, but for us you can't eat the antlers so uh people like us because we can go through can be very surgical on how we do the harvest uh we can leave the those those trophy bucks for, for breeding on their on their land or for, for other, other purposes uh, while we're targeting specific cold do- you know coal animals, coal bucks those, things like that.
0: So are you looking for ones that might be a little less robust or I don't want to say sickly by any stretch, but ones <laughs> that might be behind the pack and that would just be eliminated by one way or the other?
3: Yeah, not not as much looking for the for the for the sickly ones. It's um, and and really one of the things about this this process is that if an animal is, is is sick or ill, typically they lie down and and they don't even present themselves to us for harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're you know we're really looking at the uh, the the healthy animals where we would be targeting is um, really what the rancher wants to target. But those would be females. So uh, you're looking at healthy does and. Uh, bucks that um you know maybe their their antlers aren't quite as large as the one standing next to them or aren't quite meeting the criteria that the rancher wants and so those are the ones that would be called young bucks and, and those
0: chris hughes joining me here on the show from broken arrow ranch all right chris let's talk about that mobile processing unit i don't know how many of my listeners have actually been in any kind of meat processing facility to include myself so the 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 trailer or the, the the unit that you have uh, that I saw in the video prior to me contacting you was very impressive. So, what does it entail, and uh, then we can also talk about the meat inspector here in a minute.
3: Sure. So, uh, t- t- in order to to sell meat, there there's there's rules and regulations, and they're very specific on on what's required. Um, one of the beefs I actually have with the food inspection industry, or food inspection. Uh, laws is that they're all process-based instead of results-based, meaning that they, they give you very specific things that you have to do, and then you know, they think that the meat's going to be safe on the, on the back end. But that worked to our advantage a little bit because they were very uh, specific on what was required for a meat processing plant. You had to have walls that were you know, uh, impermeable to water, could be, could be cleaned and sanitized. You had to have hot water. Uh, you had to have, uh, you know, the refrigeration, um, all, all these different kind of rules and, and specifications. So, um, what my dad was able to do was take all of those specifications, put them on the back of a trailer. And then when he submitted it for, uh, getting a grant of inspection, uh, meaning they would be improved, they came up and they said, Well we can't do this this is this is on a trailer and he said well there's nothing in the rule books that says it can't be on a trailer. <laughs> he just says i've got to have this, that, and the other thing, and i've got every single one of them mm-hmm. so <laughs> they couldn't find any anything that uh would disqualify it so they they approved the trailer, and that's that 's how the whole thing works
0: so having the u s d a inspector on site is that a cost that you incur to some degree or is it highly subsidized by the government in order to, ha- to have somebody on there? i know uh, i have a whole different diatribe that i'm not even going to get on tonight about horse meat and stuff and and uh and usda inspectors or, or the lack of, of uh, subsidizing for that but what about for you is that uh, something that would be akin to like a beef inspector
3: Right, so it's the same same meat inspector, same you know, same people. They would be inspecting our process one day, and could could go down the road and be inspecting a, uh, uh, a, a, a poultry plant or a uh, you know another slaughterhouse, you know, that's in our area. One one distinction, though, uh, without getting too far in the weeds on the on the meat meat regulations, uh, we actually work, and our our meat inspector is a Texas Department of Agriculture. Inspector, not a USDA inspector. Okay. Um, and just uh, long story short, uh, when the uh, Federal Meat Inspection Act was written in the nineteen in nineteen hundred, uh, they again were very specific about what they defined as meat. Uh, they listed beef and they listed pork and lamb and all and, and goat, uh, but they did not list the original red meat or venison. Hmm. Um, so, so wound up uh, not falling under USDA jurisdiction. Um, but uh, because it's uh, it's inspected by a Texas uh, Department of Ag, we can ship it across state lines uh, and sell it all over the country. So, um, again, it's a little bit of a maze in the, in the meat inspection world, uh, but in terms of our cost, uh, part of that is the mission of the Texas Department of Agriculture. So we don't pay for the first eight hours, but we do pay for any overtime that, that gets incurred.
0: From a grading standpoint, you know, you you look at the beef industry right now, and I don't think it's ever been more popular than it is today. You have all these choices that uh, folks weren't really uh, hip to even five, six, seven years ago. Uh, a lot of prime now. You have a lot of wagyu. Uh, Japanese stuff is getting flown in here. Do you have similar grading for like deer, or not so much?
3: No, there's 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 no specific grading uh, from uh, like there would be with prime and choice and select. Uh, I guess we could argue that it's all all prime, right? Of course, <laughs> At <least> from a <laughs> uh, from, from my perspective. But um, you know, we we we've built our brand on quality, and we, and we stand behind the quality of our products, and so. Uh, and we've and we've developed a very good reputation of that quality. So we 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 put it out, and we've had very very few complaints on the quality of the meat in the uh, since since 1983. So we've been at it a long time.
0: So let's talk about venison steaks, or uh, maybe whatever your favorite part of the deer is. Uh, what's the best way to cook it, or how do you like to cook?
3: Sure. Uh, so you asked earlier about live fire. I love live fire cooking. I think that that you know that's an excellent way. Um, you know, it gives it a little, little uh, hint of smoke. You can, um, you can really control the heat. People, one of the challenges is controlling the heat with live fire, but if you build your fire right or have your grill where it can raise up and down and move side to side, then, then you can certainly control that heat. Um, you know, for me, um, uh, everybody thinks that there, there's only the back strap that comes on a gear. <laughs> and it's certainly a prime cut. It's a, it's a very nice cut. But one of the things that we really enjoy um, are the, uh, the leg steaks, the leg fillets. Mm-hmm. And what we'll do is we'll take the, uh, we'll take the whole leg, we'll age it uh, for uh, about five, five days or so, dry age, and then we'll vacuum seal it uh, and uh, we'll let it wet age for uh, up to 28 days, mm-hmm. 28 to 30 days. And then at that point, we, we, we bone it out. But you're letting those enzymes kind of break break everything down, tenderize the meat, let some flavor develop uh and uh then once you bone it out and clean it up, you've got a beautiful, beautiful missing steak, and uh it's it's got a lot of flavor part of the the uh you know the more muscle works, the more flavor it's gonna develop and the less the muscle works, the less flavor it has so the loin is very very tender. Uh, but it doesn't have a, a a lot of flavor to it. On the flip side, the shanks uh, have a tremendous amount of flavor, but they're very very tough, and they need to be braised to kind of break down all that connective tissue. Those leg steaks are just right in that sweet spot, right in the middle, where they have uh, you know the tenderness of a loin, um, but a little bit more flavor uh, flavor development. Uh, and then and then for my money, I you know I I'd like to cook it simply. I I typically go with um, Venison's so lean; it really needs some uh, some kind of oil or fat around it to help protect it while it cooks. That's why a lot of people wrap it in bacon. Uh, but again, I think then your your meat just tastes like bacon. Uh, so I'll typically rub it with some oil, um, pretty heavy on the salt because it's very very lean. It doesn't have that fat to carry the flavor, so it really needs a, a, a large dose of salt, cracked pepper, whatever herbs you have around. You know, some rosemary, some garlic. You grill it up, uh, and then. Uh, usually, some kind of sauce is a, is a nice way to top it. That, that'll help bring some moisture if it gets overcooked. Uh, but it's also just kind of a nice, uh, you know, nice kind of flavor component to the whole dish.
0: If you are interested in grabbing up some wild game meat, then head over to BrokenArrowRanch.com. That's BrokenArrowRanch.com. And we are talking with Chris Hughes, the owner of Broken Arrow Ranch. Chris, really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks so much for coming on
3: absolutely thank you for asking me and uh happy grilling out there folks
0: all right thanks again there he is chris hughes from broken arrow ranch so who's up who's gonna be the first guy to brokenarrowranch.com or gal and grab up a venison steak or venison leg how cool is that process you kidding me mobile processing plant right there go on to your ranch in the herd and they pay you for it. Nice. That's brokenarrowranch.com. They also have some sausages, uh, some lamb stuff on there. They have some farm-raised venison as well and uh, was it pheasant? Pheasant? Hold on. What is it? uh, Farm-raised quail. That's right. Not pheasant. Sorry. All right, attention anyone who loves sausage and barbecue, that's all of us, right? Southside Market and Barbecue, established in 1882, and the oldest barbecue joint in Texas, owned by the same family for three generations, famous for the original beef sausage, coarse ground, and a natural pork casing. And they're known for the authentic Central Texas barbecue like briskets and ribs, all meats, including those briskets slow-smoked for many hours over real Texas Post oak wood. They ship nationwide via the online store southsidemarket.com. Shipping customers can choose to order now and ship later. Include a custom gift note and mail to multiple addresses without additional charges. All items are shipped sealed and in dry ice to ensure complete freshness upon arrival. All meats processed in the on-site USDA inspected facility. On-site meat markets for fresh and smoked products. Custom order is welcome as well. Two restaurants you can eat in Elgin, Texas, since 1882, and Bastrop, Texas, since 2014. Grocery distribution through Texas and many surrounding states. Get 10% off your entire order online when you use coupon code BBQCentral. That's BBQ Central. That's BBQ C E N T R A L, all one word, lowercase, BBQ Central. 10% off every order from the first to the last at SouthsideMarket.com. And Pat Lafrida coming up after this. Stick around.
2: produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey.
0: Cookin' Pellets is sponsoring this segment, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit cookinpellets.com for all your information, flavors, and so forth. You can also order there if you'd rather Do it through Amazon.com. You can do it there as well. It's cookingpellets.com. All right, as I had mentioned in the open, the interest and visibility on plant-based meats continuing to gain momentum. So much so, you might have seen my next guest making the rounds on some of the news networks, talking about it on those. Uh, But let's dig into plant meat and meat-meat and where they compare, if at all, obviously, where they contrast. But more importantly... What does the future hold for plant-based meats? Let's hit the FOGO Charcoal Hotline and welcome back America's Butcher. And perhaps we can add him as another official Barbecue Central Show Butcher. Racing to that hotline. We welcome back friend of the show, Pat LaFrieda. Hey, Pat. How are you, pal? How's you going? I'm absolutely fabulous, Pat. Appreciate you making time for the show, as always. And, uh, you know, the show here, Pat, has steadily been tracking the plant-based meat niche for a few years now. And in the past, a non-meat option was a bean burger. The best bean burger, to me, is average at best. But there is a newer option out there right now that appears to look like meat and feel like meat, taste way more like meat than the bean burgers ever did. And there are a few big players in the sector pushing the weight around. So as someone who is known for meat and beef... What are your high-level thoughts as you see this plant-based movement continue to gain steam?
1: Well, I think that it's going to continue to gain steam, um, but I I think they have the application completely wrong. So I have been uh, sampling these products for a number of years, and um, we were the first meat company to endorse, at the time, Impossible Burger, Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been switching over to beyond meat, uh, just because as a, you know, we, we supply meat to restaurants and, uh, I mean, it's, it's not meat, uh, it's the only non-meat item we distribute, but I think an alternative source of protein is, is important because I think as the population grows and, uh, you know, the, I, I think beef prices will continue to skyrocket as we with briskets sky, skyrocket this season. No but um, we we want to be able to control that somehow. And
3: here's the problem.
1: I, I don't know why they, they have marketed this product towards burgers. And I say that because I've eaten this product cooked by some of the best chefs in, in, in New York City mm-hmm. in other dishes. So when it's, when it's in another dish... Um, Especially David Chang made some of his you know, famous uh, pork and uh, beef. I'm sorry, beef infused dishes with this product. It was very difficult to tell that it wasn't uh, actual actually meat. But when you put that much of it between two buns and something that's supposed to be America's comfort food, I I just think that's a huge mistake on their part.
0: I guess from a, a raw or a mass form, Pat, how are you getting it from, you know, a Beyond or an Impossible Burger? Is it just like a, a vat of uh, what would look to be ground beef? Uh,
1: Impossible Burger was sending it to us initially in— in in fr- it only comes frozen, mm. and it, it was coming in, in these 10-pound tubes, um, and now Beyond— Meat and Impossible have been sending them uh, in burger form, so in six ounce burgers or five ounce burgers, depending on on what you order. Um, so I, I almost preferred it when it was in those tubes, so that a restaurateur could use it for other applications. I mean, they can still chop it up if it's in burger form, but they 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 continue to market towards burgers. And hey, look, you know I will give them credit. When it comes to, you know, fast food restaurants have really jumped on on that bandwagon quickly. I mean, White Castle, um, the fact that that they took it nationally, um, but I, I I think that could wind up to be a bad thing also because the restaurants that would be normally interested in using a product like that, um, it, now the general public will see that they're using the same quality of product that White Castle is using, which which for high end restaurants can be an issue. Right? I mean, they usually pride themselves on the best quality products available. And all of these products were super super GMO products. And so initially you didn't see any of those claims because I mean they're completely genetically modified. So they've been able to that in a way and get um, GMO certified, uh, I should say non-GMO certified. Um, but I, I still have some questions about that because I don't know how you could not modify it genetically and um, and be able to pull protein out of the out of the roots of of these plants. But uh, that's not my battle. My battle is uh, right now. It's been supply, and I. I have some serious concerns as to why um, these facilities that had too much product now don't have enough. I I, I almost wonder if, if that isn't part of the marketing
0: plan. So you think maybe they do have reserve and they're trying to create a little bit of a clamor on product shortage and then all of a sudden, magically, there's going to be more meat and that potentially could uh, cause a, a price spike. My word, by the
1: way. (laughs) Especially since uh, Beyond Meat went public Mm. first, and then Impossible Burger stopped producing product because they had a recall. And the recall had to do with some plastic packaging that got chopped up and and thrown into the product. Um, But recalls like that are normally corrected quickly. Um, So it's been a few months since we've had any Impossible Burger. Uh, supply um, causing all of those consumers to want beyond me Mm. kind of making that stock a little bit higher than it may should be.
0: Like what's the demand if people are calling the freedom? I mean, is there a definite demand for it? I mean, when we look at plant-based successes, you had mentioned, White Castle's on the, on the deal. Now a Burger King, Carl's Jr. Red Robin. I mean, the list kind of goes on. I think, I mean, is it safe to say this is kind of past fad, and this is something that's going to have some staying power to a certain degree?
1: I I think it will have some staying power, but I don't think it'll be in in the burger yeah. realm. I think it'll be as an alternative meat source, where where I think it I think having alternative protein sources um, is is a very good thing. Again, it will keep our beef prices in check. Um, 'll we'll always want to eat real beef That's another thing that there, it, it, it that always got to me i, I didn 't understand why it needed to artificially bleed if <laughs> you 're trying to eat something that 's not meat then why why should it have to bleed this uh, red dye or 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 beet juice uh, It never made much sense for me but um, I think that it's uh, its legs will 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 hold it. Um, in place for many years to come as an alternative uh, um, uh, meat source, and I, I as I said, I, I, we we do need to start to find alternatives. And protein has been huge, uh, a, a huge in huge demand, and we've we've seen that mostly in in the pricing of veal, whereas veal has declined in use at. Um, and and in consumption mostly because of its bad uh publicity publicity that it has and it, it's it's kind of not uh accurate i mean the calves are no longer enclosed and chained up and and you know held in place but we see it in the pricing of 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 milk fed geo uh, because that milk is really the whey protein isolate that you see in in protein drinks. Mm-hmm. So as protein drinks have become more and more popular, it has risen the price of whey protein, which was fed to calves, and that was the milk-fed formula fed to calves, so it's raised the price of veal. So that in itself shows you that there's been a demand for for protein, um, and here is a, another great um, source for, for protein, um, I don't know why the fat content has to be as high as it is. Uh, I think that would be a great, and uh, maybe they'll fix that. And I think that was a great selling point. It would have been a great selling point if it had less fat. Uh, yeah.
0: it's not third necessarily third like a, a a real healthy alternative if you're looking to get away no, from the no, beef. No. Yeah, no doubt.
1: Yeah, that's why you'll see very few claims on the packaging because you know they they don't they don't want anyone to uh, rebuke that but um again you know we're we're very open minded um, and progressive uh, meat purveyors, and it was something that we identified as as uh, an item of interest, and we were of the first to carry it in the northeast so we 've been carrying it for a few years. I would say that the chefs that began with it don 't even use it anymore <laughs> um, but again, with this recent um, lack of of supply and then the idea that beyond meat went public which gave it a, a lot of publicity there's been a huge uh, a huge uh demand for the product and it, it, i don't think most of the public knows that this product's been available for a few years now it, it's not it's not very new it's sat on retail shelves for a few years as well so um you know it's I, a, a lot has to do with perception right now. Um, I, I, again, I, I, I think it will. I, I think it will um, emerge to be a good meat alternative. Uh, whether it's going to take over the burger realm, I, I, I think that's where it will fail
0: eventually. Yeah, that's uh, a bet we're not going to go take the long odds on for sure, but uh, could see in a different uh, in a different way in the kitchen. Uh, we're talking with Pat yeah, a different application. Yeah, great, absolutely. Uh, Pat Lafrida joining me here on the show. Uh, Lafrida.com the website, if you want to check it out. Pat, let's switch gears a little bit. Talk uh, about Lafrida Home, which I'm guessing is a little bit more focused towards uh, folks like me, uh, homeowners or you know end users, consumers. I guess you could say. Uh, you guys really trying to make a push on that end.
1: Yes, our our uh, home delivery we started a few years ago. Really, just to combat the amount of phone calls that we were getting to the main office for home delivery, we we started a site, and really, it's grown organically. Um, We're—I don't know of any other company that stock uh, pre-portioned meat. Um, what, what we do is we. Get, so I, I don't know of another company for The delivery, the order to come in, then cuts the meat that night and then overnight the next day. So that's the service that we provide. So if you were to order something at, at, on LaFrida.com on our home delivery page, those are the same steaks that, that, that some of the best restaurants in America are getting supplied with. We're cutting them the night that you order that product and we're, we're overnighting them the next day. So you'll get that product fresh. It's never been frozen. It comes with ice gel packs and an insulated cooler. And again, you know, you, you open that if you choose to freeze it. It's it's all vacuum packaged, so uh, it would be good in your fridge for three or four weeks. Mm. But if you if you chose to freeze it, you could, and then it would be good up to a year. Um, but as I always suggest, if you know, if you're in a country in which you have the ability to buy fresh meat, um, I I would never freeze anything unless I had bought something um, that I I wasn't going to finish before it went back. So, you know, a lot of things go in your freezer and we often speak about America wasting wasting too much food. I I would love to know the number uh, as a percentage of the amount of food we put in our freezer that really never comes out, <laughs> you know, goes in,
2: yeah, it
1: stays in there for about a year and then gets tossed. Uh, but having uh, a source to, you know, freshly cut dry aged steaks to burgers, to you name it, uh, we we offer it on on our home delivery site, and uh, it's something that's really grown uh, over the last couple of years.
0: Uh, obviously, dealing with this show, Pat, there's a lot of interest uh, because it's a barbecue show. And briskets, you had mentioned briskets being uh, pretty popular here this summer, of course, uh, especially in the in the prices of briskets, if you've, uh, as you've talked about. So let me ask you, uh, I guess, first of all, can you get briskets at LaFrieda.com on the home section? And then secondarily, and I can't believe I'm going to ask this question to you, but you're the expert. Is there any difference between a left and a right side Brisket, as far as tenderness is concerned.
1: Okay, okay. let's let's handle let's handle the first the second question first. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you: Has that been a topic? I I've never yes. Heard oh, of
0: course, yes. I mean, it is. Uh, there, I really
1: there are I, I, it's the first time I've heard of that.
0: Yes, I mean, there is uh, staunch people on either side saying the right side is better or the left side is uh, is more tender.
1: I would, love, I would love to test them and show them two briskets and ask them which one was the left or the right. Um, <laughs> however, um, so the only point I could see from that is, are they referring to when an animal sits and it will only sit usually on one side and then raise itself up?
0: Honestly, uh, by one side? I don't know if there, there has even been that far of a jump down the rabbit hole other than just saying that, you know, somebody said that the left side or the right side was more tender versus the other.
1: Uh, it would only the only difference between uh the left side of an animal or the right side of 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 uh, of an uh, of beef would be that as the animal sits, they usually sit on one or the other side, and it's not all lefts, it's not all rights. So uh, that would debunk that right there. <laughs> and uh, cutting briskets my entire life, I, I have never seen a difference between the left and the right as far as um, as far as consistency of the product, marbling, um, the two the two muscle groups that we have in there: the first cut and the second cut or otherwise known as the nose and the deckle of the brisket, I, I, I have not ever seen a difference between the left or the right. Now, have I ever tasted them side by side to see if one was more tender? No. Uh, but physically, I have never seen a difference. Now, I, I have seen a difference in the size of cuts that are either from the left or the right, but they have to do with the rear of the animal because the the rear of the animal is is what is really... Uh, taking a break, and if you if you see animals that are lying down, they're usually uh, either lying completely on their bellies or uh, tilted to one side, but but the front is is more likely than not still at least half up. The briskets, the two brisket groups, which only represent about twenty two or twenty three pounds of, of the of the animal, hold up. Thirty percent of the animal's weight, so there is a significant use for these muscles in in the animal. I mean, thirty percent of the weight is tremendous. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about animals over a thousand pounds. I mean, it's a lot of uh, of richness and a lot of strength. And I, I and, and that's why it's not something that you can just quickly grill like you would grill a steak. That's why it's a slow cooked item. Um, as opposed to something from the back which which is a, a you know a grilling item but uh, left or right no I I, I I would love to see some more uh, evidence I, it's, someone came up with that and it, it's a fun topic to talk about I just have never seen the difference uh,
0: so what about briskets for sale at lafridacom uh, yeah we
1: we offer briskets uh, on the uh, free.com and, and usually trim them. Now I know that a few months ago when the price got really crazy, we temporarily took them off because we just thought that the price, the price of the brisket was, was more than, than it, 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 it may have cost for, for the shipping because shipping overnight is, is difficult. Uh, but it's something that we, 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 uh, are putting back on shortly, and you can get that brisket trimmed or you can get it dropped uh and you you would get it fresh
0: and you can get them in that sixteen eighteen pound range
1: yes um so uh, no 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 sixteen or eighteen pound range yeah no they're 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 trimmed a little bit better than that, and they are in the ten to twelve pound range
0: okay but uh, but whole briskets, uh, point and point and flat.
1: Oh well, yes, definitely yep. whole whole briskets. Um, so we 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 currently have them available on our site, like I said, and uh, we had only taken them off a couple weeks ago, maybe for like a week uh, until the prices got a, a little bit better for for our consumers. But <laughs> uh, they're about ten to twelve pounds. That's how much a brisket should should weigh. When they're when they're in the 15 to seventeen pound range there's either two things have happened to the brisket uh, one is that it hasn't been trimmed um, of of some of the of the navel side mm-hmm. towards the belly um, and and another thing is that the the fat on the, on the on the nose is is got to be more than an inch thick um, other than that they those Those really big briskets may come from older animals. And I think we've spoken about this before. An animal that's over 30 months of age, uh, so we're talking about cows, um, old milking cows. When they're brought out to pasture, um, they're not even graded by the USDA. That's that's how bad the quality is. So the marbling (laughs) is bad. It's it's over 30 months of age also subjects um, consumers to BSE. So mad cow disease has only been found in animals that are over 30 months of age, so we we don't handle any any product like that our 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 beef is in the twenty four months of age range and um, you know that's that's why it's so tender and that's really the secret to it, it being sweet um, and and consistent.
0: Pat Lafrida breaking it all down for us here this evening. You can go to Lafrida.com and get your dry aged steaks or your not dry aged steaks if you want. The briskets are up there as well. Again, it's Lafrida.com. Pat, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. My pleasure, brother. Good speaking to you. You got it. There he good is. Good night, everyone. Pat Lafrida right there talking about briskets and, man, he just talked about Mad Cow. That was great. My board is disconnected from my laptop that's great too that's fantastic lafrida.com l-a-f-r-i-e-d-a lafrida.com and check out and those steaks pretty awesome the 70 day dry aged are back by the way they were off for a little bit alright green mountain grills great pellet cookers if you're looking for some get ready why not You have a classic line to choose from. You also have a prime line. The prime is new this year. They have the looking glasses both on the cooking chamber and on the pellet hopper. They have two, now two, internal meat probes. They have the 12-volt power technology, more robust chassis, just a better built overall cooker. Not to say the classic isn't good. that's what you want, I have two. They work really well. Daniel Boone and Jim Bowie are the ones that are going to go in the backyard. Davy Crockett is what you're going to take to your tailgates as they start to approach here shortly. They also have pellets to fire those cookers and a whole bunch of other great stuff, sauces, rubs, accessories. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's Green Mountain Grills, one of the leading pellet cookers out there today. All right, we are back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back.
2: Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show.
0: All right, we thank Pat LaFrieda for joining me last segment. This is going to be a quick turnaround. We have Angel Todd coming up here in just a few minutes to talk about the SCA event in Hartville, Ohio that you won a week and a half ago. Again, the website for Pat Lafrida, L A F R I E D A, Lafrida.com. That's Lafrida.com. Dry age steaks, regular, non dry age steaks, prime, not prime, and the briskets. He said 12 to 14, 10 to 12 pounds should be the size you want. Hmm. Stick around. We'll be right back.